Hey, it's Jamie West coming up on the podcast. Oh, by the way, Scott Thompson will be back on Monday. But coming up on the podcast, we're going to tell you about an anti-hate campaign that's taking root in Hamilton at exactly the right time. Also in the show, we're going to talk about your municipal property taxes and why they're so high compared to other municipalities in the province of Ontario. Marvin Ryder will be here from McMaster University to talk about that. And we're going to get you educated on bees. Did you know that if you want a beehive in your backyard, all you got to do is call this organization and they'll come and set one up and do all the work for you? That's all coming up up here on the podcast today on the scott thompson show on 900 chml all right off the top uh you know again on the theme of uh high hopes uh, a campaign called no hate in the hammer has launched in the city it comes amid what i referred to earlier regular rallies outside of city hall from far-right parties and after anti-lgbtq violence at pride celebrations in gage park I somehow had a feeling something like this would would happen. Sandy Bell is a board member at the Hamilton Community Legal Clinic and former Canadian Human Rights Commissioner and joins me on the line. Sandy, welcome to the program. Hi, Jamie. Nice to be here. It's great to have you here. Um, I have to tell you at the outset, you're going to educate me on what uh, the campaign is exactly for called No Hate in the Hammer, but it doesn't surprise me at all to see something with this theme emerge in this city we don't generally in the city have too long of a tolerance for painful things among our people. And um, generally, this city is high on volunteerism. This city historically is high on looking after our, ourselves and our neighbors. Uh, we're a working class city, multi-generational, uh, and we've always been inclusive for the most part, despite what the nonsense uh, flags that are attached to Hamilton sometimes are. Tell me about uh, tell me about this campaign, Sandy. Well, yes, I'm just as proud of Hamilton as you, and I uh, go across the country talking about our great Hamilton. However, we have the highest number of hate crime crimes reported in the country. So, while this seems to be uh, out of character, it's not totally out of character. But we are intending to bring all of the sectors of Hamilton together, all of every intersectional identity, every race, every gender, every ability or disability, ages, what have you, together to fight hate in Hamilton. Hamilton is not going to have that as one of the um, mantras that others are saying about us. So indeed, we are taking back Hamilton. It is um, it is disturbing to hear you say that you know we have the highest number of hate crimes. The, those statistics are they are they recent statistics? Like, is there a, a a time frame in which those stats are gathered? Sandy, was that I don't know in the last year, the last five years? Uh, just to give us some perspective, do we have any idea? My recollection is that it's not brand new. Right. It would be over the last few years. And there was um, a wonderful organization, HARC, which was uh, an anti-racism organization that was collecting these, uh, actually collecting the stories of folks who had experienced hate crimes. And that has been put on pause. In the midst of all of this, the agency that's collecting the stories is put on pause. So that is one of the big things that we are 
definitely asking City Hall, our city fathers, to get on with and get HARC back operating so that we know exactly what the hate crimes are and maybe what to do about them. But right now, what we're doing is uniting, getting out of our silos, talking together. Yesterday, we had such an amazing group of people who joined at uh, the McMaster place in in, uh, Jackson Square. People of all backgrounds and the suggestions that we had. It, it's it's really quite interesting. Um, we've been talking about this, thinking about this for quite some time. And what we learned recently is that we are following some of the steps of the Southern Poverty Law Center, which folks will hear about around fighting hate in the United States. And so we're asking people to act, to join forces, to support the victims, stop looking at folks and and not supporting them. Speak up. Speak up about what's happening. Educate ourselves. We learned yesterday at the end of the the morning or around noon, I was asking, what did you learn? And the number of people who learned things that they had never heard before. Create an alternative. Okay, so what's the alternative to these ridiculous bombastic individuals who are marching around City Hall. We can't just sit back and moan about it. What are some of the alternatives? And we have to stay engaged, pressure the leaders. Letting letting Hark go by the by just was a, a really, really short-sighted approach to things. Um, teach acceptance. Teach who we are. No matter what we look like, how we identify, we are worthy members of this earth, of Hamilton. Well, we know all of that, but and that's and that's all very, very um, solid. But but mm-hmm. how do we, you know? I guess at the end of the day, how how do you keep the bad apples from emerging in the first place? And I'm I'm guessing it's like it's it, it's like weeds. In a garden, you make the you make the, the the colorful, positive plants grow stronger. You fertilize them. You make them grow stronger, and then there's no room for the weeds to grow. It, it, I mean, I'm I may be oversimplifying things here, but um, I guess that's what we do, right? If we can create enough positivity, then there, there's not much room for anything negative to to crop up because th- th- that'll be stamped out immediately. The weeds are already there, unfortunately. Right, right, right. So we can't do that. It was interesting. One of the speakers yesterday said that hate is is like cancer. It's 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 a it's a nasty thing that can kill you, and it is the one disease that we know the cure to, and the cure is love. Now that is is just a lovely lovely thought that I actually went away with yesterday, but we're going to be building relationships. As I said, getting out of our silos, rather than looking at somebody else and saying, you know, I'm more disadvantaged than you, so I'm going to fight for my little piece of the turf. We're all going to be looking at each other. We're wanting solidarity. We're wanting unity. And What came out of the yesterday meeting is a group of folks who have said, yes, we will be the leaders and move this 
forward. There's going to be a meeting in September at the Hamilton Community Legal Clinic where those leaders will get together, and we won't just talk. We're going to strategize. We're going to be talking about some of those weed putter-outers that, <laughs> that we can actually get at. I, I didn't want to use a, a nasty a nasty word. Well, there. I used it. I started it. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 that's how I referred to the, 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 those that would do harm and that would hate. I called them, I called them weeds in, a, in an otherwise beautiful garden. So, so that, is, I think and, you're okay. This is a beautiful garden. Hamilton's a beautiful <laughs> garden. It is. And, you know, there's really good things happening like restorative justice that can go into communities and help communities. We, we have to start with children. Because children are coming out with some of these nasty things. They sure They're are. They're it in their homes. Yes. Talk to our neighbors. Talk about our beautiful differences and how we are all part of that gorgeous Hamilton garden. Um, looking at the schools, again, talking to our politicians, and individually, each one of us, saying Hamilton is not going to be noted for having the most hate crimes in Canada, we will stop this. There is also um, a really good conference coming up in October, I think October 4th. It's the 150th birthday or anniversary of Gandhi. So, of course, that is looking at peace, looking at working together, looking at what people are doing in other countries in other parts of the world to fight hate and make hate just be that weed that is withering and not marching around Hamilton City Hall. All right. How do people get involved in this campaign that are listening today who are hearing uh, you for the first time? Um, Where can they get information? How do they get involved? Well, one of the things that we had yesterday were some fantastic T-shirts and buttons that were selling like hotcakes. We want them everywhere. So I'll give you a website, or um, is it a website? Not. Hamilton, Hamilton Justice, J-U-S-T-I-C-E dot C-A, and you can find out about um, No Hate in the Hammer. You can pick up a t-shirt for $15. You can walk the streets of Hamilton with these t-shirts that are telling everybody there is to be no hate in Hamilton. And if you want to become a leader, uh, just give us your name and we'll keep you apprised. And we indeed will stamp out all of that nastiness. I love the positive energy and I love uh, the the passion that's uh, coming off of you, uh, Sandy, and I'm sure it's shared by all of the people uh, that that you've been in uh, dialogue with. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for this and good luck with the campaign. I know know that uh, we'll be probably having you on the air frequently to discuss it. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Jamie. Have a great day. Bye-bye. There's Sandy Bell, a board member at the Hamilton Community Legal Clinic and a, a former Canadian Human Rights Commissioner and uh, perhaps more importantly and more timely at this point, uh, involved um, in, as one of the organizers of this uh, campaign called No Hate in the Hammer. And uh, I think it's uh, I think that's great. I think that gives us a lot of hope and faith that uh, maybe, 
you know, we're turning things around with regards to things like the nasty stuff that went on in the City Hall Plaza and the yellow vests and all of this kind of nonsense. We got to keep it together, pull it together, especially during this beautiful summer of ours. We should all just be enjoying each other's company, each other's points of views, each other's cultures, each other's food, all of that. That's what, that's what it's all about. And that's what this entire country was built on. The whole country was built on immigrants and immigration and diversity of culture and religion. It hasn't always been easy, but as Canada has gone along, I would have to say we've done a much better job with those things than our friends south of the 49th have done and continue to do. I don't want to say we're not in the clear by any means. Not in the clear, but um, this is great. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. A report by Zucasa lists uh, how high some of the property taxes are for various Ontario municipalities. Um, I don't think it comes as any surprise to, to learn that Hamilton's are double uh, what Toronto's are. There's a whole ranking. If you go online, you can look this up and, and see the full ranking. But Hamilton is, um, you know, down the list, which means... It goes from the lowest taxes to the highest. And so if you're low on the list, your taxes are higher. Windsor was the highest. Uh, they had the highest uh, residential tax rate. And Hamilton is at number 22 on a list of 35. So, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're in there too. And there, that's, this is constantly uh, an ongoing discussion about balancing, um, you know, the, the, the taxes in our city. How do we pay for things in our city? If all of the pressure is on the residential taxpayer versus uh, the business or industrial uh, tax, uh, you know, tax uh, collector, I'm trying to say tax collectors, people who pay taxes. I know who will sort this all out for me. Marvin Ryder, business professor in the DeGroote School of Business, McMaster University. I'm like, a, I better go and take some classes from you, Marvin, because I'm totally tongue-tied on this stuff. Well, I, I'm so sorry for you, Jamie. <laughs> By the way, for your producer, I was just wondering if maybe he was wearing sunglasses because last night he was partying a little too much and he's trying to hide those red eyes from you. It could be getting an early start on a long weekend. Exactly. That sounds like Will Erskine. Well, that's uh, what I thought. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, this this is a you know this is something i i don't think marvin that people pay enough attention to and i'm and i think maybe they don't pay enough attention to it because they don't feel like there's much they can do about it but let's talk about uh sure this well i i love the data from zucasa and as you said i'd recommend anyone go there to take a look at the site but there are a couple of problems in trying to interpret what all this data means so, yes, uh, I can take a look at the property tax rate. That is the percentage that is used, and then it's multiplied by the assessed value of your home to get your overall taxes. So 1.22% times 500000 says you're going to pay roughly $6,000 in taxes. And if you compare that to our next-door neighbor, Burlington, Burlington's at 0.78%, so that's, that's quite a bit less. But the problem is your $500,000 home in Hamilton isn't assessed at 500,000 in Burlington it's assessed at $700,000 in Burlington so it's a little a little disingenuous to simply take my value in Hamilton of my home and then compare it to a tax rate in another city the great example of that is of course Toronto oh look at that only 0.61% boy look how cheap those are but the average home price 
and <laughs> Toronto is $915,000. If you look at the top five, another great one is Vaughn, $1.01 million. Uh, Oakville, $1.07 million. You know, if you had your average Hamilton home moved it to Oakville, it would also be worth a lot more. The assessed value would be worth a lot more. But nonetheless, the point is well taken that we are right in the middle of the pack in terms of these uh, assessed values, this uh, property tax rate. And worse, when you compare it to almost all of our next-door neighbors, most of the higher rates are places like Niagara Falls, Kingston, Oshawa, Peterborough, Sudbury, North Bay. Well, they're a long ways away from us. What are we doing wrong? And that's why there's always pressure on the city council to try to bring the budget down and thus the the assessment value, or excuse me, the uh, property tax rate down. And isn't isn't that um, got a lot to do with the balance of of business taxpayers versus residential taxpayers? I know in the city of Hamilton, you know, we used to be a a, a highly highly industrial city, lots and lots yep. of uh, industrial companies here, uh, creating jobs, doing business, setting up shop here, yep. and and so they were uh, paying the bulk of the taxes that were going into uh, running our city. And then, of course, they went away and that burden went on to the backs of, of residential taxpayers. Is it all always about that balancing act, whether it's here or in other municipalities? So, you know, you, you raised another great question here. All this study does, UCASA study, looks at the assessed value against residential taxes, and it doesn't give you a sense of what proportion is coming from residential versus industrial. If we go back to the 50s and 60s, I always say to people, if something was made in Canada, a version of it was made here in Hamilton. If it was cars, we right. had Studebaker. If it was tires, uh, we had uh, Firestone. If it was blue jeans, Levi Strauss was here. Lifesavers was here. Procter & Gamble was making soap here. And so back in the 50s and 60s, this blend between how much is coming residential and how much is coming industrial commercial was almost 50-50. You know, the businesses were really pulling their weight. Well, today, and it's not because the businesses don't want to pull their weight, it's just that we have a lot fewer businesses, and as they disappear... The cost of providing services in Hamilton doesn't disappear, so it gets shifted. And that's why, uh, that's another reason why. And there's another reason why Hamilton has higher property taxes is that we are a split city. We have this big thing running through the middle of our city called an escarpment. So I've got to put roads up and down that there's nobody living on those roads. They're just transportation corridors. I've got to maintain those things. You remember earlier this year how some of the rock face started to come away. Mm -hmm. The limestone had to be replaced. If I'm a flat city like Burlington, if I'm a flat city like Oakville, I don't have that additional cost. Now, we love our escarpment. We love I call it the green lung of our city, all those, that wonderful swath of trees that helps uh, our environment. But there's a cost to that. And I'm not always sure, again, when you try to compare, you've got to adjust for some of those local factors. The you mentioned earlier the the uh, you know the assessment of of residential properties and and that's a big bugaboo too right there's so much subjectivity that goes into that there's a constant controversy about uh, the assessed value of various residential properties talk about how yeah. that how that is done and why there continues to be controversy around that well Jamie again uh, I'm going to take you back and then we'll go forward uh, you may remember that I did something quite evil in the year 2000 I was chair of the transition board that created the new city of Hamilton. <laughs> and it was our goal to not have your taxes go up. And in fact, I'm very proud of the fact that in that year, we actually took 5% out of the budget of running the city by putting the, the different municipalities together. But many people said, well, oh, my taxes still went up. And that was because 
coincident with, in other words, co-timed with our creation of the new city of Hamilton was a move to something called actual value assessment. So the value of your home, it used to be a historical value, but now it's based on housing being sold in your neighborhood. So uh, what the municipal uh, property assessment people do is they take a look at sales data and they say, sure, you may have only paid $200,000 for your home 15 years ago, but we've looked at the most recent comparators in your neighborhood and now your home's worth $500,000. So your assessed value goes up and thus your taxes go up accordingly. This is why, in particular, there are seniors who often struggle paying their property taxes. They have lived in a house for 40 or 50 years. I only paid $20,000 for the home, $40,000 for the home. Why are my taxes so high? Mm -hmm. Well, that's because today, if you were to go to sell your home, actual value assessment says your home's now worth half a million dollars. It doesn't mean that your income has gone up accordingly. No, it's gone down usually. Probably, but the value of your asset has gone up. And that's another thing that affects us. So again, correctly, about every three, four years, you get an assessment form. And once you get that assessment form, you can appeal it. And if you say, well, sure, you're basing it on those houses that sold. Well, those were all the really good houses in the neighborhood. Mine doesn't have a a pool or a spa or a finished basement, what have you. You can appeal it. And there's a constant ongoing battle with the property assessment people to correct your assessment to what is the right value. Yeah, and I, I wonder, in the case of the city of Hamilton, uh, w- w- were the city forefathers caught off guard by the reduction in industrial tax base? Uh, yes. I, okay, there's the answer. <laughs> That's it, a short, short answer. You know, no one saw it coming, and then what do you do to fight against it? Right. All the city can do, all uh, even today, all that Hamilton can do is put out a welcome mat. Now, we are thrilled that West Cam is coming back to Hamilton. They're bringing 1,000 jobs, and, and they're building a lovely facility up on the corners of Highway 5 and 6. Stryker, in the same area, is doing this. CHCH has sold their building downtown. They're going to build a new facility up there on the corners of Highway 5 and 6. That's wonderful. Tim Hortons brought a coffee roasting facility. But if you can just remember, we used to have so many of them. Although these are good, we need 20 to 30 of those kinds right. of stories just to begin to even up the playing field. So I never complain about them, but if in case you think, well, okay, now the West Chem's back, my taxes are going to fall, it, it, it's just a drop in the bucket of what we've lost. Is, is, uh, does uh, West Cam move, uh, like you, you mentioned, does that serve as uh, an indicator that others will come, or can we, we can't tell in a, in a vacuum like that? A one-off is not a, a trend. <laughs> well, there is enough momentum now of different people that we think uh, uh, those people who plan these kinds of things, uh, the realtors or what have you who deal with commercial property, are paying more attention to Hamilton, and they're liking what they see. Um, but, again, all you can do is put out the welcome mat. And I joke, let's suppose I'm a company in California, and I'm thinking I'm going to come to Canada. My, I'm going to look at the map, and the, I, the thing that's going to catch my eye is Toronto. Now, hey, we're not far from Toronto, but then you have to go make the case of why you should be in Hamilton rather than in Mississauga, which is just on the border with Toronto. And and it does get a little tricky. So our economic development people are out there knocking on the doors constantly, constantly making the case. And sometimes we win and sometimes we lose because it is such an intense thing. Uh, you know, I mentioned about some of those other cities that have high property taxes, Sudbury, North Bay, Sault Ste. Marie, Windsor. What do they have in common with Hamilton? They, too, have lost 
large numbers of an industrial base, they too are desperate to rebuild their industrial base. The only person who isn't on that list is number one, which is Toronto. It's just such a natural magnet that when you're going to be a bank and you've got to build a new headquarters, hey, let's build it in downtown Toronto. So their uh, residential versus their industrial commercial mix hasn't really changed at all. If anything, it's gotten a little better over time. It's the rest of the cities in Ontario that are sort of losing to that big magnet of Toronto. A lot of people don't uh, realize uh, historically that Hamilton was the financial capital <laughs> back in the day, right? I mean, it was it didn't weren't all the banks kind of here like a long, long, long time ago? Wasn't this the financial center of at least the province, and then somehow it all moved down to Toronto? I seem to remember Margaret Houghton, uh, our dear departed friend yep. from the special collections at the library, telling me that one time. Well, I wouldn't say she was wrong. I wouldn't say that your recollection is wrong. It's just thank goodness. Once- once upon a time, once upon a time, uh, we didn't have sort of the big five banks. <laughs> right. We had dozens of smaller banks, and over the years, they've con- uh, con- you know merged and joined forces and amalgamated. So you're absolutely right. At one time, there were a lot of small banks based in Hamilton. The problem, if or, or unfortunate aspect, when mergers happened, somebody came along, merged, and then they moved the headquarters down the road. That was one of the things we lost. But you know, it's, it is an ongoing battle, and I, and I do think there's a big difference today than the 1980s, and I don't mean to to rain on Mayor Morrow and his memory. I think in the 80s and 90s, we were so busy trying to say that we're a rival of Toronto and puffing out our chest, right. but we weren't doing enough. Right. I think today I agree. we're doing things, and I, I, it may be a little late to the table, but we are doing the right things today, and they are paying dividends. Unfortunately, there was a period where we just got so intense on that rivalry with Toronto, we, we stopped doing the things we needed to attract that next generation of businesses. I describe it this way, Jamie. I'd like to try to rust-proof the Hamilton economy. We just can't rely everything on steel. So how do we keep diversifying? And we're doing a really good job today, but we weren't doing it in the 90s, and that's why we still have to play catch-up. Well, and isn't some of this, some of the uh, the turnaround, if, if you will, to use a positive word for, for us, happening simply organically? In other words, it's gotten, uh, some of it has very little to do with government, and it has more yes. to do with business leadership and, and geography and lack of space and availability and all of those things that um, just sitting here, where we are, where we're located, uh, because of our proximity to uh, uh, the great to Toronto area, the pressure for space and so on and so forth there is pushing businesses to look this way, even if we didn't have a big banner out saying, welcome, come do business here. Mm-hmm. So to say that a little differently, if you look at the Zucasa study, you would think someone who's looking to buy a home might be turned off from Hamilton. Mm-hmm. But why people are still very excited about Hamilton is that if I uh, am in Toronto and I'm prepared to spend nearly a million dollars on a property, I come to Hamilton and go, oh my God, for $500,000, I can get the same property. Wow, and look, I've got a yard, and I've got this, and I've got that. So uh, certainly in the last 10 years, Hamilton has been rediscovered. I don't think we were ever really a secret, but for some reason, uh, those people in Toronto weren't paying enough attention. Now other people have discovered us, and they're coming here. Now, there is a downside to that. That, of course, leads to some gentrification. There are some neighborhoods that uh, are going through a renaissance, and on one hand, I like to see that money being poured in to restore buildings and fix them up and what have you. But unfortunately, if you are in a lower economic bracket, it makes it unaffordable for you. And so we, you know, we have to do this in the right balancing act. But it's delightful, the renaissance that we are beginning to see. My, my good friend, um, 
Uh, Laura Babcock keeps talking about have we hit a tipping point, meaning that now it's inevitable that all good things will happen. And I keep being a little conservative here and saying, I, you know, it could still go the other direction. I'm not sure we've actually hit the turning point or the tipping point, but everything's going in the right direction. So we just need to keep encouraging that going forward. All right. Marvin Ryder, business professor, DeGroote School of Business, business McMaster University. Have yourself a great uh, long weekend. Uh, celebrate uh, Lord Simcoe, and I'll do the same. Good. Perfect. Take care. Bye for now. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, earlier uh, in the uh, in the last hour, or late in the last hour, we were trying to get a hold of this bee guy named Luke Peters of Humblebee, and I, I said I was kind of worried that maybe Luke had fallen under one of his beehives because we couldn't get him. His phone was not buzzing. Is that right, Luke? Oh, something was buzzing. But... <laughs> But not your phone. It was just, I think it was just the bees, yeah. So it's good to have you here. You're with a, a group called Humblebee. Tell me about that group and uh, what you guys do. So Humblebee is an urban bee farm based out of Hamilton. And we focus a lot on bee education, so teaching people about bees, teaching beekeepers how to become better at taking care of bees. We also sell raw local honey and equipment as well so kind of a one-stop we've heard a lot about uh, the bees bee community bee community bee populations <laughs> being in trouble uh, I mentioned earlier that you know large corporations like General Mills last year were selling cereal boxes that didn't have the bee on them the, the Cheerios boxes to raise awareness to raise awareness of the problem with bees being damaged, um, or bee colonies being damaged, are we making some headway? Um, so, yeah, I mean, bees are kind of like a canary in the coal mine for the environment. Um, you know, there is a pretty drastic situation happening right now for the bees. It's it's nice that uh, you know corporations are making an awareness campaign, but a company like General Mills who can control much of the the farm fields in North America and beyond um, could actually put in place practices in their farming and create initiatives to do positive things for the bees. So what's the issue? What's, what's the issue? Pesticides? What's the issue? Pesticides is definitely near the top of the list. We're looking at habitat loss for all pollinators, uh, pesticide use, and climate change as I'd say the top three for what's uh, affecting all pollinators, not just the bees. And, uh, of course, why should you care about that? Well, we all eat, of course, and that is pretty much what ties us to the bees. We, we definitely need them for you know, securing our food supply. And, and I know that, you know, there's a reason they call honey liquid gold. Um, there isn't lots and lots of it out there so it tends to be a little pricier and, and it but it's wonderful to, to have and obviously you know p- people want to keep that that going here in the Hamilton area you guys are reaching out not only you're not only doing your own thing at uh, Pier 15 but you're wanting to engage homeowner homeowners directly who are interested in having bee hives or colonies at their home talk about that yeah so we have a, a great you know hosted hive initiative where people can uh, reach out to us and we'll place uh, a beehive in their backyard 
and do all the paperwork, all the maintenance, all the the management of the bees, making sure they're happy and healthy, and doing the harvesting of the honey as well so people can enjoy honey from their own backyard. And we try to find places that are going to be good for the bees. And so hopefully they're thriving. They get some of the, the, the homeowner gets some of the honey. Um, so it's a, it can be a win-win-win situation for everybody involved. Luke Peters is uh, with Humblebee. And uh, you guys are doing great work out there. What's that? What's that stuff you use to keep the bees dopey and not stinging you when you're around them, working with them? I mean, I'm looking at a photograph of you around a bunch of beehives, and you don't have one of those typical beekeeper suits on with the netting and all of that stuff. But I see that can of something that's got smoke coming out of it. How do you how do you do that? Because most people are thinking, if I'm going to have a beehive in my backyard, I'm worried about getting stung. Yeah, actually, so I, I said that, you know, we sell bees, we sell beekeeping equipment, we do education events, uh, but probably more or less that one of the biggest things that we do is we actually breed honeybees, and that's how the, the partnership with the Hamilton Port Authority really took off is we found a place where we could selectively breed um, honeybees for certain genetics, such as being very gentle uh, which is something we absolutely need because we have bees in very urban areas where there's lots of people. We don't want overly defensive honeybees, and honeybees are not aggressive at all. They do get confused with wasps quite a bit. Um, they're just really happy to do their work. They kind of do their own thing. They keep their heads down, <laughs> um, and uh, and they and they just like to do that. But yeah, we can actually open the hive with no protective equipment whatsoever. Um, and we just use a little bit of smoke and smoke has been used to work with bees for thousands of years and it basically just hides their communication, which is largely done by pheromones. So they can't smell, um, you know, the, the stress, the alarm pheromone. And so it keeps them calm while we can do the work to make sure that they're healthy and they go back to work after we're done. And, and what's in the smoke? What do you burn? Is there anything in particular? Is it charcoal? Is it uh, marijuana? What is it? Right, right. So, that, I mean, it's legal now, so I guess I can say, no, it's, it's just <laughs> your typical wood smoke. Okay. Um, you know, we, we have a friend uh, who works out of the cotton factory, Hugh, who uh, does wood turning. And so quite often we're able to use the waste from wood turning, which sometimes very nice walnuts or cherry wood and we use that for the fuel for the smoker yeah this is uh this is cool so again just to review if, if people would like to have a, a bee hive in their backyard you guys will bring it you guys will maintain it and look after it i don't have to do anything except offer you guys the space to put a beehive is that what you're saying and and i get some honey out of it as a rental yeah. fee yeah, exactly. So wow. it's a, it's like a monthly rental fee for the for the beehive. It's great. We do absolutely all the work. Wow. And uh, it also allows us to see like which areas are going to be good for bees, and uh, it all supports our breeding program to breed like more gentle, more prolific bees that will hopefully be able to survive. You know, far into the future, that we want the genetics to be very strong, uh, so we have healthy bees that can help support our food system. And are you like a, an insect uh, graduate from university? I forget what they call those. En entomologist? You got it. Entomology. Um, 
No, not officially. Although I, I do admit I have dropped in on a few classes. <laughs> um, I, uh, I am definitely self-educated with all the, the beekeeping knowledge that I have. Mm. I, I try to work with people that, you know, are professionals. I, I'm in my local bee clubs. <laughs> I talk to people that have been beekeeping longer than I've been alive. And I try to, you know, gather as much knowledge as possible from as many different resources as I can, because that's how you learn anything. Uh, it's been about 10 years of doing that now, so um, it's, it's been paying off very well. The other beekeeper of Humblebee, Dan Duma, came from a very scientific-based uh, bee breeding kind of background. He worked with one of the most celebrated uh, honeybee researchers in Canada. So he's got a very scientific-based education on beekeeping. Uh, I came from more of a honey production uh, background, and so we've kind of combined our two knowledge bases, and Humblebee has been doing pretty well this past few years. I think the, the spectators have been following us along since day one, and uh, you know we keep doing these new exciting partnerships and continue to have success, thankfully, in the city here. And... Uh, you know, growing up in Hamilton, it's it's been great. It's been a lot of love for Humblebee and a lot of support, and, you know, it's, it all feels good. I want to ask my co-hosts, Avery and Danica West, uh, here, who are with us, uh, Luke, if... Um uh, what do you guys think about what Luke's saying here about about the honeybees? I know that Danica, you were concerned when General Mills was running its campaign on the Cheerios boxes with the bee missing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. are, are, were you are you concerned about uh, honeybee populations? Yeah. The thing is, I think people like know them as like this the stinging bees. Like mm-hmm. they don't do anything good. Some like some people think that. Right. Um. I don't know what else to say. And they and but they do, but you, clearly that that's not the case as Luke's pointing exactly. out. But the question I have for you guys too: uh, uh, Would you like to have a beehive in our backyard? Do you think we should get reach out to these guys and get yeah. a hive no. put in our backyard? I know. <laughs> Why? What? Like Evan won't like it either. <laughs> no, I, I, I think you know that I, kid in bees. Yeah, but. He, yeah, but if we could break, if Luke could come out and educate him, then I think it would change. And that's part of the thing, right, Luke? Is people, as you say, have a misconception about honeybees, and if they just learn something about them, that it takes all the fear away, and uh, everybody wins. Still, Evan. Uh, <laughs> that's that's right. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of times when people see me working and they see that I'm not, you know completely covered in, in protection <laughs> um you know the perception changes almost immediately from that um you know the, the bees are very gentle they don't want to attack me um when a honeybee stings it dies so it's literally the last thing that it's going to do right um, last resort very last resort that's right so you're more likely to get stung by a bee by stepping on it than anything else there okay. you go. All right. Uh, how do people get more information, Luke, about uh, Humblebee and possibly having a, a, a hive installed uh, in, on their residence? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is humblebee.buzz. That's H-U-M-B-L-E-B-E-E dot B-U-Z-Z. And we're also on social media such as Instagram at Humblebee. All right. Luke Peters of Humblebee. Thanks for this today. Appreciate the education.
No problem. Thanks for reaching out. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. There's, uh, there's uh, Luke Peters of Humblebee. Danica, this is creating quite a buzz, wouldn't you say, this entire topic? Yeah, I guess. You're giving me that. <laughs> you're giving me that. Dad, that's a terrible joke you just made. Yeah. Look. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.